0: Welcome to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Now he's going to stumble up and he's going to be sacked. Darius Leonard's going to bring him down. Keep it way downfield for Zach Pascal. Touchdown! We're talking Colts and recapping the action. Way downfield for Jack Doyle. He's got it! Touchdown! Comes back 10, 5, touchdown! Michael Pittman! Jonathan Taylor,
1: touchdown!
0: Now here's the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, live from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. Hey, welcome again to
2: Colts Roundtable Live, presented tonight by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. I'm Matt Taylor, with you until 7 o'clock tonight. And the Colts let a big chance slip away yesterday, as we all know. They fell to the Buccaneers 38-31 in a game they felt like they should have won. The Colts drop back to 6-6 six and six on the season, and their three-game winning streak is over. The Colts led 24-14 at halftime, but couldn't close out the game, and it's the third time this season the Colts drop a game when holding a double-figure lead. Turnovers were the main story of the game. The Colts technically had a season-high five of them, including the Hail Mary interception on the game's final play, but the Buccaneers capitalized with 24 points off turnovers for the game, and they outscored the Colts 24-7 to in the second half. Indianapolis finished the game minus three in the turnover margin and were also penalized at inopportune times that aided the Buccaneers. One of the biggest plays of the game when you're looking for a turning point, that occurred early in the third quarter. The Colts got the ball first to begin the second half. They were marching up by 10 points, looking to expand on their lead at the Tampa Bay 20-yard line. That's when Shaq Barrett strip sack quarterback Carson Wentz and recovered the fumble. The Buccaneers would go on to score a touchdown on that drive and the tenor of the game was never the same. Jonathan Taylor got going late in the game. He finished the afternoon with 16 carries for 83 yards and a rushing touchdown. Taylor now has at least one rushing touchdown in nine consecutive games and joins Lenny Moore as the only players in team history to accomplish that feat. It's also tied for the 10th longest streak in NFL history. Also on Sunday, Taylor passed Marshall Falk with the second-most rushing yards by a Colts player in their first two seasons, and he eclipsed 3,000 career scrimmage yards, becoming just the third player in team history to reach that plateau in their first two seasons. Taylor, unfortunately, wasn't the only productive back on Sunday. Tampa Bay's Leonard Fournette ran for 100 yards and found the end zone a career high four times, including three rushing scores, and tight end Rob Gronkowski proved once again why he's one of the best tight ends in the history of the game. He posted his best day in a Buccaneers uniform with seven catches for 123 yards and really hurt the Colts in big moments. So with five games to play, the Colts are currently 10th overall in the AFC playoff standings out of the playoff picture as of now. There are five teams with at least six wins gunning for that last wildcard berth in the AFC. Remember, seven teams make the playoffs now. That final spot is currently held by the Chargers at 6-5, and five, who hold the tiebreaker over the 6-5 and five Raiders and the 6-5 and five Broncos. Got a lot to get into tonight, as we always do, and we'll do that coming up with Rick Venturi and Joe Wright's. They'll join me on the next segment, and we're taking your questions later on in the show, as always. If you have a question on the Colts, tweet it in tonight using hashtag Colts Roundtable. But joining us now for a recap of yesterday's game with the Buccaneers is the head coach of the Colts, Frank Reich, on the line with us now. Brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. And coach, as always, appreciate the time on a Monday and a tough game yesterday, obviously, in terms of the outcome. When you went back and watched the tape today, what was the difference in your eyes, and why the Colts came up short?
3: You know, Matt, we just got to do a better job of closing out these games, and that—that's that, all of us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all of us. It's coaching, playing, making the plays at the end of the second half, the end of the game that that can win the game for us. So, you know, obviously there was a lot to like. You know, on offense, the way we moved the ball, I thought the defense, but and I thought the defense did a good job of really limiting Tom Brady. He didn't have you know an astronomically big day or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, So at the end of the day, obviously the turnovers were a big factor and hurt us bad in this game.
2: You know, Coach, the the tone of the game, if you will, it it changed on Shaq Barrett's strip sack. The Colts were looking to extend their lead. It was a 10 at that point, first drive of the third quarter. How much did that play hurt in terms of just the momentum of the game?
3: It hurt. I mean, like you said, Matt, we got to just kind of come away from points. We had just come off of a 20 uh, of a flawless 21-point second quarter,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and now we come out to start the third. We just had a flawless two-minute drive at the end of the first half. Now we come out at the beginning of the second half. If we can put together a flawless first drive of the second half and finish that drive with a touchdown, man, is that going to go a long way to putting that game away.
2: Yeah, One of the big plays of the game going back to the first half, the 62-yard touchdown to Ashton Dewan. He had great separation the secondary on that play, Coach. Watching that play back today on film, why was that play so successful for a touchdown? And just how happy were you for a guy like Ashton Duwin who puts in the work and then gets his first career receiving touchdown?
3: Yeah, very happy. And um, you know, it was just a great route by Ashton. He kept a, it was a post route that he kept nice and thin. Carson made the, the absolute perfect throw. Um, you know, we've run a lot of crossing routes you know, this season. So, you know, we had a crossing route going, and the free safety kind of bit up on the, on the crossing route, and Carson saw it and was able to hit Ashton right in stride on the deep ball.
2: Yeah, and, and as you said today, the Colts, they are playing good football. Despite the loss, the Colts, you continuously prove that you can compete with anybody. I know that's not the goal. You want to beat all of these teams, but what, what was your message to the team after that game, knowing you still have a lot of, uh, in front of you with five games to play and the playoffs are still within reach?
3: Yeah, the message was, you know, just keep believing and just keep fighting to get better. And we know we have the players and, and the coaches to, to finish out these games, and, and we know we're getting better. We can feel it. The, the record's showing that. The production on the field is showing that. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we understand we were going up against the defending world champs in this particular. We just, you know, we just beat a really good team in the Bills, and now you come in against the defending world champs, take them down to the wire, I, the guys, the guys are confident. They they know we have the team, uh, and even though it's been three games like this where we've had double-digit leads, we're still we're not the same team that we were when we had that first experience. I, I know everybody believes we're a much better team.
2: No doubt about that. That's Colts head coach Frank Reich with us tonight here on Colts Roundtable Live. If you have a question for him tonight and every Monday night, you can tweet it in using hashtag Colts Roundtable. So let's leave a handful of minutes here for the uh, the fans, coach. Let's go to Sam. He's asking, what's your assessment of the pass interference penalties that were called on us yesterday, and what is your assessment of Rock Yassine this year? Where has he improved, and where does he still need to take his game?
3: I mean, I think the officiating this year, I've been happy with the officiating. You know, on those two particular uh, pass interference calls, I, I mean, I would just put it like this. I, You know, I'm not complaining about the officiating, but as I graded our players, you know, I then downgrade them for how they played those plays. So, um, and I think Rock Rock is continuing to – I think Rock's doing well. Um, we're really – I think the whole back the whole back end of the secondary mm-hmm. um, is really continuing to get better. Uh, we really – when you look at their receiving core in this, they have a very dangerous receiving core, and we really did a good job of limiting those guys in this past game.
2: All right, Bob is up next. I try to watch the game for this, but I struggle at times. How much did we have to keep our tight ends – in in order to help protect on the Tampa Bay pass rush? And when we do that, how much does that limit our ability to move the ball in the passing game?
3: Yeah, we didn't do it a whole lot this game. Uh, we do it occasionally um, as, as we think is needed and mm-hmm. depending on the route and the route concept. Um, so, you know, that, that's always a play-by-play by play decision on, on how the play is structured and how long the quarterback's going to hold it. Do we need the extra time? But, you know, I thought our pass game was very efficient in this game, and, um, you know, we're always going to mix that up.
2: All right, let's go to Trent. Uh, He's asking, I know Carson Wentz has a lot of confidence in Michael Pittman Jr. on the 50-50 balls, but was there too much trust on him on the deep pass that was intercepted by Antoine Winfield?
3: No, I think it was just a great play by Winfield. You know, I mean, we'll take that shot, you know, going deep to Pitt. I mean, I bet if we threw that ball 100 times – 95 times at the worst case is going to be an incompletion right you're Mm -hmm. you're, when you throw a deep ball a one-on-one ball like that to your best receiver in Pittman, you're thinking you're either getting a catch a dpi Mm -hmm. or an incompletion the last thing you're thinking you're going to get is an interception but the kid uh, winfield made an unbelievable
2: play no it was tip your cat to a guy like that who makes a play in that scenario uh, all right, let's go to Chad, and I know you talked a lot about this earlier today with the media and last night after the game. Uh, Chad kind of puts it in a different way. I know the Bucks were loading the box and stopping the run early in the game, but some fans say you need to force feed Jonathan Taylor, even in RPOs. Taylor is great at making hard yards, but would that have worked, in your opinion, had you given the ball to Taylor on those RPOs?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, it's a give and take. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to have a balance of that. You know, they're there is a time and a place for RPOs, but we, you know, we're not going to just force it all the time to Jonathan. Um, you know, we're still going to get him a lot of touches in the game. Um, we're going to try to get him the, the ball in optimal situations. But then, like, I when I was talking with the media today, I'm not saying there is a time where you just got to hand it to him in a heavy box and say, Jonathan, just create, just go ahead and create, do your thing. And, uh we're going to always mix that up, Matt. We you know, we, we, we got to keep the RPOs the RPOs in because it does help the players and we are being very we have been very successful on it.
2: All right. Last one from Mike. Uh, what's the latest with Kari Willis? Does he have a chance to play this weekend coming off of IR?
3: We're hoping to get him back out on the practice field this week and then we'll assess it day by day on the practice field.
2: All right, fair enough. All right, the Texans are up next closing out, coach. They fell to the Jets on Sunday. Of course, this is the second of two meetings this season after you beat them way back in week six feels like a long time ago. Um, it's also the final game before the bye week. And I know it's always important to go into the week off with a win. What do you see in the Texans as they have a different quarterback in Tyrod Taylor compared to the first time you met them again, back in week number six.
3: Yeah. Tyrod played a lot of winning football. So I have a lot of respect for him and always have respect for all of our division opponents. Um, you know, I know they struggled against the Jets, but they were just coming off a win versus the uh, Titans. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we know this is a dangerous team. Um, a lot of respect for them. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have – you know, Matt, you know what, what I'm going to say. we got to be 1-0. we got to get better this week. We've got to find a way to win an important division game.
2: Indeed. Frank Reich right there on Colts Roundtable Live. Coach, many thanks for the time tonight. Have a good week of prep for Houston, and we'll talk to you later this week leading into the game. Thanks, Matt. That's our weekly talk with Frank Reich, as always brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. You can save at home on monthly bills when you conserve water and energy. For money-saving tips, visit citizensenergygroup.com. I'm Matt Taylor. When we come back, we'll continue to talk Colts football, recap the Buccaneers game, and we'll also preview the upcoming game on Sunday against the Texans as the Colts go for the season sweep of Houston on the road this weekend. Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights join me for that. And we'll also dive into some truth or trash coming up on the next segment as well. You're listening to Colts Roundtable Live. It's brought to you by Citizens Energy Group. We're back in a moment here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
0: Caesar's Sportsbook, the sportsbook for the people. Download and get started with a risk-free bet of up to $5,000. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 years or older. We now return to Colts Roundtable Live. Once again, here's Matt Taylor from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio. Hey,
2: we're back again on Colts Roundtable Live tonight here on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan, the home of the Colts. It's presented by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts' conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. I'm Matt Taylor. And tonight's show is also brought to you by CBS4, where news does not stop when you go to sleep. Get caught up with everything with Angela, Nick, Krista, and Rachel weekdays on CBS Four this morning. Also joining me are the fellows, the former Colts Joe Wrights and Rick Venturi. Good to be with you guys as always. Rick is on the line with us now. And RV, you've watched the tape today. The Colts led twenty-four to fourteen at the break, uh, but were then outscored twenty-four to seven in the second half. Uh, the Bucks were aided by Colts turnovers in the second half, a lot of penalties in the third and the fourth quarter. Rick, what happened in the second half? Why did things go downhill quickly for the Colts?
4: Yeah, it's it's just really a, a devastating second half. You know, obviously, we've seen this picture before. Uh, you know, after such a great first half, this ended up being, you know, just really, really deflating. As you just said, Matt, it was a, a tale of two halves. Um, you know, I mean, to me, a handful of things really stand out. Uh, the obvious ones are being discussed hour after hour, minute by minute. Uh, the first one is the four turnovers. Uh, I obviously don't count the Hail Mary. I mean, that, that's, that, that counts as five and makes it look bad. But it was four critical turnovers. There's no question about that. that's hard to overcome. You know, Frank will have to answer to the, you know, 26, 26 straight passes. I'm not jumping on that pile. 14 of them were in a very successful two-minute drive that we were all raving about and putting and, put, and put in Wentz in the Hall of Fame there at the end of the first half. But at some point, you know, it's difficult to walk out of there with 26 straight, um, you know, basic passes and you don't give a guy that's in the MVP category a chance to run the ball. You know, as Tom Moore used to say to me, my good friend, it's players, not plays. I think there's a part of that. And then my dad, my Hall of Fame father used to say, sometimes Rick, you got to outcoach the fans. And I think, basically uh you know i I know where frank's coming from i mean we were getting stoned with that double sink i knew it going in we knew that the weak part of the tampa defense was outside the number Mm -hmm. and we were super successful nobody was crabbing about that when wentz put up 24 points 188 yards and 130 passer rating in the beginning but i mean i think those two things will stand out that i don't think there's any question about that But the one thing I don't like to just linger on that because, again, what it will do was whitewash the entire situation. Um, You know, I think a couple things, really. Number one, our defense did not successfully stop the run, and this is not a good running team. 142 yards rushing, Fournette had a 5.3. This is well, well above their average. Never stopped it, never stopped it at the end absolutely no plan for grankowski they treat they treated grankowski like he was danny pinter they just played their normal defenses like they always do against the hall of fame guy wide open in the seams wide open in the wheel routes and things like that and then i would say at the very end of the game despite all the issues it's 31 31 and basically they just go right down and score five for five passing they never even got to third down. They never once got to third down. And then at the end of it, they just embarrassed us by running the play. And the last play that he runs in, we're disorganized on the line of scrimmage. They run it to the edge, which we haven't played good edge of defense now for 12 games. So, you know, there was a lot of things involved. I know everybody's going to center in because it's very easy to do on the turnovers and on the, on the lack of Jonathan carrying the ball in the third quarter. But there was a, a lot of problems in this game that have reoccurred over and over. And in that sense, they have re- reoccurred over and over defensively in the three giveaway games that have changed our season.
1: Yeah, to, to agree with Coach, I really thought, you know, a tale of two halves for sure. I mean, that second quarter we played was as good as you can play in the NFL. And going into the game pregame, I talked about who's going to be the emergence of the third guy, meaning... Not Pittman, not Taylor, and you had three touchdowns from Doolin Doyle, and uh, you know Ty, and you know Jack played another phenomenal game, which has really been nice to see him come on here late in the season. But I think when you look at the second half, Matt, and they had five drives, four go for points three touchdowns and the only short field we actually did a decent job sudden change held them to a field goal but bottom line to beat Tampa Bay as good as we were defensively in the first half they were one of five on third down in the first half only 14 points you can't let them score four out of five drives in the second half and just win you know and offensively 31 points you know that's a good amount of points and, and to be able to hang our hat on defense and get a stop when we could we just weren't able to in the second half and at times, it was easy for Tampa Bay. And again, you can make some excuses. Were there some questionable pass interference calls against us? For sure. Um, were there some things that Tampa did, and they're a, a super, the defending Super Bowl champs that you got to give them credit? Absolutely. But bottom line, when I look at this game, I look at, one team, in my opinion, raised their level at a halftime to a championship-type level. That's Tampa. They've been there. They've done that. The other team, the Colts, we kind of stayed the same, flatlined, or even went down, and that was the difference, really, in the tail of two halves. That's
2: Joe Wrights and Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor. Thanks for being along tonight here on Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We're with you until 7 o'clock tonight. Here on segment number two, let's go truth or trash. This is pretty self-explanatory, you guys. You guys know the drill, so does the audience out there. Uh, You guys talk about some of the hot-button issues um, from this game and some water-cooler conversation that's happening around the fan base here today on Monday evening and into Tuesday morning tomorrow. Let's talk about it, right? The Colts, they've built a double-digit lead in nine straight games. Pretty impressive, but they've blown three of those leads, including two of them in the second half. Those losses – have come against quality opponents, but the Colts have obviously let teams off the hook this season. So instead of, you know, being nine and three potentially right now, they're six and six. They could be on a nine game winning streak and potentially much higher in the AFC playoff standings than they are right now. Joe, I'll start with you. The the Colts they, they still lack that killer instinct. Where are you going on that? Is that truth or is that trash?
1: I, I'm gonna go truth, Matt. And I think one, to, to build nine straight double digit leads in the NFL is awful impressive. As hard as every game is to win, that shows you the Colts have a playoff type, championship type team and talent base around them. But the bottom line is the stakes get raised in games and the stakes get raised generally after halftime and coach knows this as well as me. Then they get raised again in the fourth quarter and when that has happened that's where we've come up short in those three games when you're talking about in Baltimore on Monday night you're talking about Tennessee at home a Halloween and you're talking about this game against Tom Brady and the Bucks. and to me that's the difference you know those are three teams that have all been in the playoffs have all won playoff games recently some of those teams have won championships especially Tampa Bay you know, last year and I, you know, there's a difference in being kind of a playoff type team and a championship level team. And I think we saw that a little bit yesterday when I mentioned in the last segment, the Bucks continued to ascend from the third into the fourth quarter and the Colts weren't able to match just their intensity, production, execution, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, you
4: know, I think, you know, I, I think I'm going to go with the, the, that my trash bucket is half full. OK, <laughs> and the only reason I say this, I, I think it's a tough when you say when you say killer instinct. I have thought a lot about that this morning. You know, it you kind of that that implies that it's all mental to me, that that implies that it's a a psychological aspect mm-hmm. of it. And, and, you know, and there probably is. And I, I think Joe is right. I mean, Tampa. Uh, knows how to win. I mean, they really know how to win. They've done it. They proved it. They've been there They have confidence in the pressure situations. You could see it. It was written all over them yesterday uh, We don't have confidence in that situation now. I mean if you looked at yesterday You know you you would say that our offense did have the killer instinct. I mean our offense despite all that problem they had in that nightmare third quarter You know, Frank got back to pounding. He did, as as Joe said, he didn't worry about the box. He just went back to players over plays, and Jonathan ripped him. We hit a key pass to Hilton, but all of a sudden, you know, we changed the venue. You know, and in that respect, I think you'd say, well, you know, that part of the game, we had the killer instinct. What I do see on defense, though, is late in games, not necessarily are we playing prevent, but we don't play – Tight coverage. We don't play hardly any man to man in those situations. We'll play man to man early in the game, but we play very, very little man to man. You saw that easy ten yard out, you know, and you're only defending a field goal, the easy ten yard out on the off end in that last drive. You saw a check down against cover to go for twelve. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, you're in field goal range even if you don't score the touchdown, to be honest with you. And I see I see kind of a uh you know like a, a containing I won't say it's prevent because it's not prevent but it's a a containing type of defense when we get to we we can blitz well during a game and all of a sudden when we blitz there it's all zone blitzing everything is zoned everything becomes softer coverage soft too and all of a sudden guys are getting free access Checkdowns are going for 10 like I said an easy out you know and then before you know it your backs to the wall and they run one in so I think there's some structural issues there. Uh, I think there may be some talent issues. The other thing that we don't get, and these are known situations, is we get very, very little pass rush. I mean, we got two sacks yesterday. Buckner had a beat-em sack. Uh, you know, Pay had a fall-off and second-wave second, second wave sack. Mm-hmm. But we are really not putting um, – we're, we're putting such limited pressure on the quarterback with four-man rushes. And in those situations, as Joe knows – you're an offensive lineman, you really have to gear up because they know you're gonna throw the football. And, you know, we're still we're still even in those situations not making it happen.
2: All right, let's talk about the turnovers. Truth or trash number two, because the Colts entered the game with only ten turnovers on the season on offense, but they had a season I five giveaways against the Bucks. They lost the turnover margin by three. That's the biggest margin all year for the Colts. Um, and again, this came after just suffering ten turnovers. And the first 11 games, no turnovers by the Colts' offense in the last three games leading into Sunday. Uh, the Colts lost three fumbles on the day, the first time that's happened to them since 2014. Uh, the defense allowed 24 points off of turnovers after giving up just 26 points off turnovers in the first 11 games combined. Joe, one-third of the Colts' turnover total this season came on Sunday against Tampa Bay. So the, the Colts' turnover problem is, Is that just an aberration, not something to worry about long-term with five games to play? What do you think, truth or trash as far as it just being a one-game problem?
1: I'm going to go truth and say it's just an aberration, and I'm going to look at the data, really, you know, the first, you know, 12 games of the season. When you have less than one turnover per game, you do a heck of a job protecting Mm -hmm. the ball, and you can tell they're coached on it, the running backs when they carry it. You can tell Wentz has really been coached on it, and his decision-making is just, you know, starkly improved from Philly. I mean, he was second in the NFL – And uh, TD to interception ratio coming into the the game yesterday, really impressive. Um, And then obviously he has, you know, two interceptions, really one. But bottom line, it was just a, a weird day, and that's why I think it's an aberration. I mean, Hines drops the punt, you know. Pascal is sure-handed, gets one knocked out when he's almost all the way to the ground and his knees down. You get the sack, fumble when you know Wentz didn't see him coming around the edge on that play too. There was pressure up the middle, so Carson wasn't able to step up. Everybody's gonna talking about Fisher, you know, and killing him for letting the guy get, get beat around the edge. But you know, bottom line, he needs to do a better job. But if the middle three solid and there's not you know that pressure coming in from the right guard, then Wentz is able to step up into the throw and maybe that doesn't happen. So I'm not worried about the turnovers. That's been the one thing the Colts have done great all year. They've taken the ball away and really protected it. Obviously, you got to watch the film with a critical eye, get it corrected. Uh, But the the turnovers, four turnovers, five, whatever you want to call it, and then, you know, six penalties for 66. Having more turnovers and penalties than Tampa Bay, that's unique. Those are two things we do really well. Obviously, it lost us the game in a large part yesterday, but I don't see that as a big problem, one of our big issues coming down the stretch. What do you think, Rick? True yeah. to trash, yeah. Yeah, No, I, I
4: agree with the, I agree with Joe there. <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I think it is an aberration. Um, you know, basically, when you look at it, I think the important thing is to look at how they happen – you know, normally if you're, you know, you're you're holding the ball sloppy, or you know, you're playing sloppy and you get turnovers, then then that could be a trend. In this situation, it was a little bit weird, like Joe said. You know, the the strip sack was huge. Uh, you know, and Glowinski again, he was just as guilty as as uh, Fisher was coming off the edge because really, I, I during the game and commentating. I thought maybe he could have stepped up, and then when I looked at it, there's no question there was no place to step up. Uh, you know, but that was, a, that was a, a really good player beating Fisher and doing what he does. I mean, you're not going to have fumbles from Hines. That goes back to his rookie year. That's just almost shocking. Um, you, know, uh, the, you know, the fumble by Pascal, uh, you know, I don't know that he ever really secured the ball uh, you know, but he's really, let's, let's go to the E and the 50, 50 pick, you know, that's a 50, 50 ball up there. I don't know. You're taking your shots. You know, you'd like to see, you'd like to see Pittman come back and compete. Maybe you lead him, but if you're taking some shots, you're going to throw some 50, 50 balls. I mean, nobody, nobody's killing Tom Brady today for the interception to, uh, Rogers. I mean, they're, they're almost like punts when you throw them that far. I think the biggest thing though that you got to do is what is the origin of the turnover? And, you know, basically you got to make sure that Fisher's right because he's going to, we got to beat the Patriots. We got to beat Arizona and we got to beat, uh, the, the Raiders. And, you know, you're looking at Judon, you're looking at Chris Jones off that right side. So, you know, we may, you know, we may have to help them. Those guys are every bit as good as Barrett in, you know, in that situation. So, yeah. you know, that's something that I think we really got to, uh, address the origin of the turnover I don't think the turnover itself is the problem you know and then I would say the other thing is you know it may be time to start playing dueling more uh, than mm-hmm. Pascal. Pascal has really not given us much uh, lately and um, you know all of a sudden everything I see about dueling I like whether it's special teams and emerging as a deep threat yesterday was great.
2: Yeah, leads the NFL in special teams tackles, and then the deep ball, the 62-yard touchdown there for Ashton Doolin, Rick Venturi right there, and Joe Wrights. I'm Matt Taylor. Our final truth or trash, and this has been a hot-button topic really since the end of the game and all day long today on uh, Sports Talk Radio. Let's talk about that stretch on offense where the Colts threw the ball 26 straight times. Several of those were RPOs. Um, Also, 14 of those passes occurred before the end of the half on that two-minute drill that Rick alluded to. Um, but that stretch did include two of the five Colts turnovers. Jonathan Taylor went nearly 26 minutes of game time between carries. Um, and for what it's worth, just kind of breaking down the stats and supplying the argument here or uh, presenting the argument, the Colts are 6-0 and this season when Taylor runs for 100 yards and 0-6 when he's held to double digits. Also, for what it's worth, the Colts this season are 0-6 when they attempt at least 35 passes and 6-0. and when they attempt less than 35 passes, Rick. So um, we all know the Colts were over 40 passes on Sunday, but they still scored 31 points and, and could have won the game had it not been for the turnover. So, Rick, let me present this to you: the Colts lost the game because of Taylor's lack of touches. Truth or trash?
4: Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go half truth on that. I'm gonna go half truth on that. And the reason, you know, I talked about this in my opener. Okay, uh, there there is no question that one of the factors uh in in the loss yesterday you know revolves around whether or not basically we should have given it to our best player more um i don't think it's as easy as that uh i think we can always look back and say absolutely yes we should have fed the beast but we fed the beast in the first half and we couldn't get an inch i was begging for us to work on those corners because i knew that they were weak and when we did that we exploded in that first half we came out in that drive, in that, in that drive in the third quarter. We threw it going right down the field, and if it's not for the strip sack, we might not be even having this discussion. To tell you the truth, right. I mean, I've seen Bill Belichick run the ball one week when I was with him, 50 times, and the next week it in spread 46 times, and beat both teams. And they said he's a genius because he plays to what they give him. So I think Frank, you know, was playing to what they were giving us now you know, at some point there is that fine balance, you know, you know, the only question I think you asked Frank is what changed your mind? Because they didn't change that much. What changed your mind in the fourth quarter when you just said the hell with it, we are going to give him the ball and we're going to go with it again, 14 of the 26 come in the two minute drive. So that you eliminate that, that was a great drive. There wasn't a run in it. There shouldn't have been a run in it. We went down and scored with 20 seconds to go. So that leaves uh, that leaves 12 or 13 plays left in the third quarter, of which there were four RPOs called. All four, and if you call RPOs, I said this every week: you call RPO on first down, it's a pass in the National Football League. There's nobody playing cover two in the first first half, so you ensured that he wasn't going to run the ball there. And that would be my only bitch would be that Um, they threw him the ball on swings and screens three times. These are on first and second and medium because when you get to second and 15, we're not, we're not even discussing this. Okay. And then uh, they threw the ball three times to him on first down. And the fourth, the fourth one was to Hines. So eight of that, eight of that 12 plays was basically, um you know, was basically RPOs or him. And then the two passes, the two true passes downfield were the killers. One was the strip sack and the other one was the interception. So, You know, obviously we can look back on it and we can say, Yes, uh, you know, that was a big factor in losing. It certainly is probably one of the factors. Turnover's another factor, not stopping the run is a factor, penalties, and Joe alluded to this before, pass interference penalties, a killer, and absolutely not even slowing them down on the drive at crunch time. So, you know, I will say half truth because it isn't the only factor.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go half truth as well, Matt. And I just come at it from an offensive line perspective. You know, in my history, you know, we threw a lot of passes and we threw a lot of seven-step drops and we scored a lot of points with Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. There's a big difference, though, in Peyton Manning's offense and then the Andrew Luck offense, meaning, you know, one, Peyton, you know, a lot of times, you know, or Tom Brady, when you're running that, you know, spread option routes, the ball's coming out in two seconds, you can get beat clean as an offensive lineman and the ball's already out and you're good. You know, but if you're running a lot of five, seven-step drops, deep routes down the field, play action, which the Colts have done under Wentz, that gets harder to pass block. And I just think you take a little bit of the aggressiveness off as an offensive lineman when you're dropping back more and more and more. There's something physically, mentally, psychologically about – pushing somebody forward, knowing that it's a designed run, not an RPO, a check with me run, or just a call it and roll with it run, and you're getting on your guy and you're mashing him and you're watching Jonathan Taylor go behind you and you're mashing guys into the pile. Does that make sense? And I think we lost a little bit of that in the third quarter. Now, again, the two minute drive was phenomenal. It was an unbelievable two minute drive. But then in the second half, then we get the sack fumble. You know, eventually, you know, and a coach told me this, he goes, when you hand the ball off, one bad thing can happen. They can fumble the ball. But when you throw the ball, a couple bad things can happen. You know, they can blitz you. They can run a pressure you're not used to. You can get beat one on one individually as an offensive lineman for a sack, a sack fumble, or you can throw it up and you can get an interception. And I do think part of the turnovers that we had, you have a higher propensity for turnovers when you're throwing a pass or a deep pass in the National Football League than just calling a run. And so I do think there is some element of truth to that and that. Obviously, when you go back and you take the film as an aggregate, it's easy to nitpick here. But you know, going during the game, the fact that you know we went 26 times or whatever it was and didn't have a design call it and run it to Jonathan Taylor, I think you got to find ways just to just to get him the ball here and there. And, and going back to a, a basketball analogy, you know, that I loved to, to have, you could be a great three-point shooting team, and teams could continually leave you wide open three after three after three. But at some point you still got to drive the ball into the paint, or you still got to throw the ball into the post, or you still got to drive to the bucket and get fouled. You still got to do the bread and butter things that you do well. And so you know, obviously the offensive lineman in me would have liked to seen us sprinkle in a design, call it, and run it somewhere. If nothing else, just to say, hey, fellas, we're going at them. We're running power to the right, power to the left. We're getting downhill. and We're going to tee off on this five-man front rather than sitting back and having five one-on-one pass protection blocks, which can be tough sledding, especially if it's a good front like Tampa Bay.
2: Good stuff right there. Joe writes, Rick Venturi, I'm Matt Taylor. That's Truth or Trash here on Colts Roundtable Live. Time to hit the pause button, but when we come back, we'll dive into the mailbag. We'll talk about the Colts' defense in the second half. We'll talk about the Colts' playoff odds with five games to go and the Texans who are up next on Sunday in week number 13. We're back in just a moment here on Colts Roundtable Live. It's brought to you by Citizens Energy Group on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
0: Welcome back to Colts Roundtable Live on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. For more Colts Breakdown, here's Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio.
2: We're back again on Colts Roundtable Live. Thanks for sticking with us tonight. It's presented by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts' conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips, as always, online at citizensenergygroup.com. Tonight's show is also brought to you by Meyer the official super center of the Colts and proud sponsor of hundreds of local sports teams across the Midwest. And we're taking your Twitter questions right now. Send them in using hashtag Colts Roundtable. Again, I'm Matt Taylor with the former Colts, Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights with you until 7 o'clock tonight here on The Fan. Uh, Joe, let's go to you first with Donnie's question. How damaging was the loss on Sunday for our playoff hopes with only five games to go? Right now, we are the 10th seed in the AFC. Do we have enough time to make up that ground?
1: Donnie, great question. We have time, but it's slipping away a little bit. When you look at our schedule, you know what do we have going for us? Five games left, three at home. Some teams have six games left. But if you look at the AFC in entirety, I'm assuming five spots are taken for. The four division winners and then the loser, whoever doesn't win the AFC East, the Bills or the Patriots. Assuming they get in, I really am looking at there's four teams left for those final two spots. And they are the Bengals at seven and four, the Chargers at six and five, Vegas at six and five, and the Colts at six and six. I think Pittsburgh's done. I think Cleveland's done. They both have tough schedules left. And even though Denver's six and five, I think they're done as well. So if you look at who we're battling with, it's really the Bengals, the Chargers, and Vegas. And the Colts, of those four teams, two are going to get into the playoffs. The good thing is we play Las Vegas January 2nd, and that can be a de facto playoff game. So you got to hope that the Bengals and the Chargers, who both have tough schedules in those AFC North and AFC West, start to lose some games. Oh, by the way, the Chargers play at Cincy this Sunday, which is great for us. And if you're a Colts fan, you want to pull for Cincinnati, and here's why. The Bengals have a 5-2 and two conference record the Chargers is 4 and 3, the Colts are 5 and 3. So even though the Colts lost yesterday, it wasn't a conference loss. When you get into those tiebreakers after division record and if you're not in the same division, which we're not, it goes to conference record and the bottom line, the Colts at 5 and 3 if the Chargers lose and get to 4 and 4, we would then have a de facto tiebreaker over the Chargers if we both finish let's say <laughs> 11 and 6 or 10 and 7. So, Colts fans root for the Bengals this Sunday. And then we would have a better division record against the Chargers that if that holds serve, you know, we can knock Vegas out, control our own destiny. So bottom line, I still like where we're at, even though we're six and six, because I think some good things will naturally break our way. But you got to win football games. With five games to go, you got to win at least four. I think 10 and seven does get it in. But if I'm in that building right now, player coach, I'm thinking we got a bunch of playoff games. Now we got five one game playoff type scenarios. Got to get the Texans. The nice thing you got the late by, and then you got to Figure out a way to win those final four ball games, which is going to be against some good competition. So it's yeah. going to be fun. There's not going to be a dull moment <laughs> here down the stretch, Matt, for you and Coach calling those games because every no. one of those is going to have that playoff type intensity we saw yesterday. No,
2: that, that's exactly it, right. Now is about the time of year where your head starts spinning on tiebreakers and you know head-to-head matchups. And one of the things on my to-do list later on this week is to figure out who needs to win, who needs to lose in all these matchups in order for the Colts to benefit later on this weekend?
4: You know, uh, just, just to add there, you know, when we had seven to go, I said we had to win five out of seven, mm-hmm. and we had to win three out of five versus good teams. Yesterday doesn't kill us at all, particularly because that's the NFC team right, mm-hmm. of the good five. Mm-hmm. It really simply comes down to now we have to win two out of three versus New England, Arizona, Arizona. Las Vegas, we have to win two out of three. If we don't win the other two, we don't belong. So it really comes instead of three out of five, it's now two out of three. Right. And, you know, two of them are at home, to be honest with you. Yep. So I'm, I'm I'm with Joe. There's there We'll be okay, but we have to take care of ourselves.
2: Yeah, got to start winning football games. All right, let's hit the pause button again real quick. When we come back, we'll take some more of your Twitter questions. We'll talk about why Rob Gronkowski had such a big game against the Colts. Yesterday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Get them in tonight using hashtag Colts Roundtable. Again, with Joe Wright's Rick Venturi, I'm Matt Taylor. We're back in just a moment here on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan.
0: We now return to Colts Roundtable Live. Once again, here's Matt Taylor from the Power Home Solar Radio Studio.
2: We're back again for the final time here on Colts Roundtable Live, presented as always by Citizens Energy Group. Proud to be the Colts conservation partner. Find winning conservation tips at citizensenergygroup.com. Tonight's show is also brought to you by EverStream, Indy's business-only fiber network, faster fiber, and better business. I'm Matt Taylor with former Colts Rick Venturi and Joe Wrights. we got time for one more quick uh, mailbag question. Again, you can submit your questions in tonight and every uh, Monday night using hashtag ColtsRoundtable. Let's go to Dan. Why do we struggle with tight ends so much? Gronk had a big game, just like Mark Andrews did on us when we played Baltimore. Yep. Why did why do tight ends give us so much uh, problems and fits in the passing game?
4: Yeah, you know, I really enjoyed Barry Krause. Uh, you know, in the post game, he tr- he tried to explain this, and nobody wanted to listen. They just wanted to talk about how good uh, Gronkowski was, which is a given. And Barry, who has played more underneath coverage than anybody in this city, uh, actually had some good points. I mean. I look at underneath coverage so much different than the Colts, and I think it really affects you on tight ends. First of all, we do not match patterns in zone. We play spot drops, okay? Now, where that kills you is you are creating Swiss, Swiss cheese holes in there, and so good tight ends have no trouble finding the holes in between linebackers. You know, And when you got quarterbacks with accuracy, that ball's in there. Uh, we don't play a lot of hard lockdown man-to-man, so we're not we're really not on those guys man-to-man very much. Uh, we do very little jamming. I mean, you know, you let you let a Gronkowski, you let an Andrews run free down the seam, which we did repeatedly. We let them run the wheels without contact. I mean, if you're not matching and contacting those guys, you're you're just in for really really long days. And then the final thing, and it doesn't matter whether it's a great tight end or whether it's a great wide receiver, we never apply a game-specific plan to that guy. Once you realized in that game that Gronkowski was full speed and that you knew they were going to go to him when it was on the line, you had to have a way of taking him out, and we never did that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at that time after time, game after game, That is a real structural flaw in our system.
2: Tonight's show is also brought to you by Caesars. All season long, play our predictive game, Pick 6, presented by Caesars Sportsbook. Visit the Colts app every week before kickoff and click on Pick 6 to submit your answers for a chance to win Colts prizes. You must be 21 to play. As we close out here, guys, we've got about two minutes left on the show as we kind of turn the page on Tampa Bay. Get ready for the Houston Texans round two, Joe. It's the 24-hour rule, right? You always have 24 hours to celebrate a win and about a day to dwell on a loss. How hard is that after a loss like Sunday? What's it like pushing through all of the physical toll of the season this late in the year when you haven't had a bye week and then you have to mentally compartmentalize after giving up a big lead and and falling to a a good team that you should have beat.
1: It would be hard, but it's not as hard, I think, for this reason. If I'm a player knowing I got the bye week still to come up, I'm juiced up, Matt. I'm saying, hey, it doesn't matter what happened. We got rid of it. We got to watch the film, get better. But let's go down there, win a road game. Let's have a fun plane ride home knowing we got a week off and that we can really charge up for the last four games of the season. So I think the fact that the Colts have that late by, that will help them get over this loss sooner because as the player, you're saying, hey, I'm going to have a chance to get physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually recharged for the last – four-game grind of the season, let's go put everything out, have a great week against Houston, get a win against a team we should beat, and then let's have some nice rest and get ourselves ready to go.
2: Uh, well said right there again, Joe Wright. All right, Rick, we got about 30 seconds left. Give us the skinny on the Texans. They're 2-9. Uh, the Colts beat them 31-3 to three back in week number six, and they're coming off a loss on Sunday to the Jets.
4: Yeah, the loss to the Jets was surprising to me. The only thing I'll say is I think you're going to face an improved team Coach Culley still has them playing very, very hard. Tyrod Taylor is a much—they're much more dangerous with him. Until uh, whether or not people realize this, but until the game yesterday, he was two and two with the Texans. And in the games he played, they scored 22 plus points and over 300 yards. They're—they're—they're they're, they're much different with him in the game. It's two and three, but a much different team. And I do think that Lovey Smith has made some critical adjustments and tweaks in the defense. Mm-hmm. They're kind of a poor man's Colts even though they're a bad team statistically. They do have 20 takeaways and some of their young guys leading by Greenart Greenart are starting to get some sacks. So, this is going to be a better team. This is going to be their Super Bowl, their homecoming. Uh, you know, they're they're going to play a little bit better than they did the last time we played them.
2: No doubt about that. Should be an interesting game on Sunday as the Colts go for the season sweep down in Houston. That's all the time we have tonight. We're up against it. As always, thanks to everybody who joined the show tonight and tweeted in their questions. Thanks again to Frank Reich for joining the show back on segment number one and the former Colts, Rick Venturi and Joe Wright, who always bring it here on Colts Roundtable Live. ESPN Radio is next, and after that at 7.30, it's Pacer pregame. The Blue and Gold are in Minnesota tonight to face off against the Timberwolves, and Colts Roundtable Live returns next Monday with a recap of the Colts and the Texans. Until then, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you throughout the week. Talking Colts football here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Good night.